want a bit of the quiet life. I want a bit of shelf indulgence. If there is reading, give me all of it. Join the show on the Microbrew Radio. Listen to Jim, Wendy, and Emily. Join in the conversation. I want to hear it. I want to read it. I want a bit of shelf indulgence. I want to hear Hello. it. I want to read it. And welcome it. to tonight's very special episode of Shelf Indulgence. Your weekly dose of everything bookish from Microbrew Radio. And tonight's episode is... Um, particularly special and poignant for myself and Wendy because uh, we have to report the very sad news of the passing away of a former guest on the show and a brilliant author, Jim McGrath. Wendy, you knew Jim personally, didn't you? I did, yes. Um, uh, Me and Jim went back a long time um, and we met actually in academia when um, I was... I commissioned... um, designed and co-delivered a master's degree program for the health service for practice managers and Jim was fundamental in getting that program off the ground and he was a um, he was a co-lecturer on the program Um, and he had a real passion for everything learning and particularly for mature students he was incredibly supportive of of that and it played into his nature generally and so we just hit it off we we were um, I think the proverbial house on fire. We just um, we just shared love of learning, um, and it developed into a much deeper relationship. And he um, he went on to write fiction, and he was one of the inspirations for me to follow my dream and become an author. Um, so Jim had a profound effect on me um, as a friend, but also as a role model, really. So. Jim McGrath, born in Dublin and moved to Birmingham in, in, when he was around four years old. From his website, he tells us the, the promise that the Beano and Dandy comics were cheaper and came out two days earlier with the reason he didn't make a fuss about moving. <laughs> um, after he left school, he married his wife and he built a career as an accountant, had a family and then went on to work at the University of Central England as a lecturer on management and leadership and education, which is where you met him. It, that's right, yeah. Jim wrote non-fiction, didn't he, initially? He did, yes. Um, in fact, that was his first foray into publishing. And um, he wrote a number of books around um, around leadership in education, but also around management theory. And his passion was about... Um, how you could translate management theory and apply it practically to help other people in organisations and in mainstream education. Um, And he was very passionate about that. He believed that theory served a purpose, which was um, to help you understand the future, that if you understood a theory and you could apply it, then it helped you make sense of what you were seeing both now, but also help you predict how things might turn out in the future. And um, he was um, he was always very passionate about that. I know that he published eight um, books that were non-fiction in that educational area. That's um, right. And he worked closely with his friend Anthony Coles on them. And Jim said that writing these gave him the confidence 
to finish his first novel. Now, when we um, interviewed Jim, we were talking about uh, his first novel um, of the Collins and Clark series that he created, um, A Death in Winter. Now, the Michael Collins and Clive Clark, these two main characters, one from Ireland and the other a true black country through and through, you know, so enigmatic and charismatic, yet still at the same time, the, the book is quite shocking in its, in its um, I wouldn't say that the violence is um, unnecessary or gratuitous, but it is shocking and it is rather brutal, isn't it? He deals with and, and dealt with very um very real topics and some of those were were really um hard topics to get your head around. Um but Jim always believed that hidden in any story um was the reality of the world. And the more you looked at the reality of the world and exposed it, um the safer it was because at least you weren't driving it underground. And so he he really did open up. Um, you're quite right, Jim. Quite quite difficult topics, but there was always a reason for him doing that. It was never done lightly, um, and I think he always treated those um, topics with absolute respect um, because he wanted to explore the relationships and the motivations that sat behind them. Really, let's revisit for a moment, Wendy. The characters of um, Collins and Clark. Mm. Such enigmatically written and charming characters are, I wouldn't say uncommon, you know, we see them in lots of people's writing, but, you know, this shows a real mastery of his craft, doesn't it? It does, because it it was an unlikely relationship. And I do think... Um, I think there was a huge dollop of his own experience in this relationship between these um, two men because um, Jim had come from Ireland. His family was his family obviously was Irish. Um, he come from he came from Ireland. He was deposited in in Birmingham at a time when there were still signs um, that people put out that said um, you know really offensive signs that said. You know, um, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Um, and they were, you know, by today's standards, absolutely outrageous. But but at that time, um, the Irish community ha- were, were treated absolutely as second-class citizens. And there were certain places where they couldn't get a room or certain places where they couldn't go. And... Um, it just, it, I think that his experience of growing up with that level of discrimination um, definitely influenced the relationship that he had. and it, But it was tempered with the fact that he was a lifelong Baggies fan and, um, and, and with all of the, the, that entailed, coming from the black country and, you know, supporting um, that, that team. Um, was a doorway into a culture that he's maybe his Irishness would have kept him out of. 
to a degree. Um, and and but sport football was the thing that could could draw them together, and and I do think that that is typical of the black country culture. Um, that that although there is a lot of banter that happens, which I'm not making any excuse for, is unacceptable and was unacceptable of the day. What you got, what you get within the black country is an absolute acceptance. In fact, it's one of the least racially aware places I think I've I've ever been and worked and and lived in because my, my family came from there. Um and you it is multiculturalism, you know, that the the they all work regardless of what their creed or their religion is. Um, they they live together side by side, you know. They celebrate together side by side. They commiserate with each other side by side. Um, and I think it was. I think that you know, football and the black country generally is a great leveler. Um, and as long as you're a decent bloke, and as long as you like a pint, and as long as you support your team, um, they didn't really care what colour you were or or what religion you were. They just accepted you. And for me, that is the essence of his relationship between Collins and Clark. There is an absolute acceptance. There is a lot of banter between them and they take the mickey out of each other. But fundamentally, actually, they're not only like each other, there is a real brotherly love that exists between those characters and it comes out in his writing, Jim. Yes, I I would completely agree with that, that the relationship there is so fraternal and is one of the key features that makes the books so appealing. Mm. I've gone on to read more of the Collins and Clark series, um, and, you know, it really is strength to strength in these books. It, it doesn't wane. You know, he, he made a very strong start with A Death in Winter, and you think, well, can he can he follow that up? Can he match it with a second? And yeah, sure enough, he does. It's all strong writing across the series. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there anything in particular about Jim's style that stands out for you, Wendy? Yeah, I think there's I think there's a real grittiness, and I do think um, he he's his ability to capture. Um, not just the black country dialect, but actually the flow and rhythm of conversation um, that is, I think, quite unique to the black country was absolutely masterful. And I don't know whether this is because my family came from the black country. So my my granddad spoke with an absolutely solid black country accent. To the point where when Andrew, my my other half, um, met my granddad for the first time, I could see them. I was across the room. We were at a family do and I could see them across the room and they were, you know, granddad was chatting away. And I went over to Andrew and I said, oh, you're having a good old chat with granddad then. He said, yes, but I can't tell you what he said. He said, I have no idea what he said because his accent was uh, and his dialect was so thick. Andrew couldn't understand him. Um and so it is quite a unique dialect, and there is a fast pace to the way that we, the the way that we speak to each other. Um, and Jim captured that very, very well in his writing style. And you were, if you're familiar with that, 
it is an immersive experience reading the book because you could you feel as though you're there because his writing is so authentic in that way. Yeah, certainly for me. I mean, I, uh, my family aren't from the Black Country um, at all, but I am familiar with the accent. And when reading the characters, the words do sound off the page to you, don't they? Mm, yeah, they do. They do, absolutely. Um, and I think he, he he writes their relationship, he writes the grittiness, and for me... Uh, I think he writes the psychology so well. Mm, mm. Really understand his characters, even his villains. We understand their motivations. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you first read him, um, what was, you know, you've you've read a lot of, um of of criminal police procedurals and and that that genre um what struck you about his writing when you first um picked up his his uh, one of his books for me i think the thing that really hit home for me was the way that the way that clarky takes collins under his wing and in a way, moulds him. Yeah, yeah. Without changing, without making him not himself anymore. He, you know, he really does take him under his wing and say, "Come on, lad, I'll show you how things are done around here." Yeah, he does. Um, and there's that that relationship, the way that Clarky is not just a friend but a mentor to Collins. Mm. Really mm. was heartwarming. Um, and I think. Clarky's maybe alternative style, if I'm, if that's the correct way of putting it, of handling some procedures, you know, yes. was, was quite charming in itself. Um, I remember when, um, you know, Death in Winter, he has to go and the the police are sent round to, to have a conversation with a notorious individual. And mm. approaching this house, it's like very much we are not welcome and the police are not safe here. Mm. But because of the way Clark handles it, it's absolutely fine. Yeah. Yeah. So that 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 strikes me about his writing. I really enjoyed that. And I think sometimes when you read uh, crime and police procedurals, there can be a tendency for some writers to get lost in the procedural. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas Jim's writing is very much character-led. It is, and I think one of the other things it demonstrates is the authenticity of the timing of his books. So he writes his books, they're set in the 60s, and... Um, and and actually, if you look at our police force in the 60s, um, there weren't many procedures that they followed. No. Most of the culture of management um, got hold of the police force. So everything was very rough and ready. You know, they didn't have specialist scientific units that did things like, you know, um, scene of crimes. There was one designated officer who was given a van with some kit in the back and he just used to turn up and take some photographs. It, and, and I think that very, um, almost that naive approach 
to pr pr police procedurals, which ha was the case in the 60s, um, he, he does, he reflects that really, really well. Because by today's standards, it was so Heath Robinson in terms of the way that they used to tackle things. And it was the good old-fashioned police force, wasn't it? You know, yeah. I mean, if you, it, the police force as opposed to the police service. So it's, you know, if if Clark had have seen somebody that was, you know, misbehaving or whatever, he, he wouldn't think twice about, you know, grabbing them, clipping them around the ear and yeah. carrying by the scruff of the neck back to their dad. And, and their dad had given as good as, as he had just given them. Well, of course, that's completely unacceptable by today's standards. But I think it's that authenticity that rings through in his books as well. Yeah, and that also the local characters. Um, I can't remember the name of the character. There's there's a character in the first book who, you know, Clark, he's nicked numerous times. Yes, yeah. And and that that again comes out in the writing and the adds to the authenticity of the locale and the relationships that the that the police would have had with local characters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd like to turn away from his writing slightly for a moment, Wendy, and talk about Jim as a man. Um, you knew him much better than I, um, but when we had the privilege of interviewing Jim about his books. I found him to be a very witty and very kindly person. Um, he took time to answer the questions that we had for him in a very thorough way, yet entertaining. He was a man that seemed to have patience and humility. Um, what would you add to that as, 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 you, as you knew him better than I? I, I think it's really interesting, um, Jim, that you you met him very briefly, um, really, um, to interview him. And yet that's probably one of the most accurate descriptions of him I think I've ever heard. He was a man of humility and he was a man who was, um, I never heard him judge anybody. I never heard him criticise or judge anybody. Um, he was incredibly open-minded about people and situations but he was fiercely curious and he absolutely um, needed to get to the... He, he would. He was a bit like a bloodhound. He'd, he'd, he'd get hold of a, a scent and he'd have to follow it to ground, you know. He was um, fiercely curious, which is why he did so well with, with his academic studies and, you know, Jim going to doctorate as a mature student and... Um, and you know did so incredibly well so he was he was very learned really um but you would never you he would never use that to sort of um show off in any way he was very subtle with those things but there were two things about jim that i absolutely loved one was that he was an avid collector of anything he just whether it was stamps or books or he had a magnificent collection of um, of Marvel comics. He was a real uh, collector of um, superhero comics to the point where they had to be kept in the right packaging and they had to be kept in a, you know, properly aired room and, a, you know, the cupboard that they were, were, were stored in had to be the right temperature and all of this. He was very, um, if he had a passion, he would follow it through. So I always remember that about him. But I also remember... Um, 
he had a, he had a really good sense of humour and would just make you laugh. But he was incredibly knowledgeable about loads of stuff, and he was a a, a big film and he not, not only read very widely, but he was a big film addict. And um, and if you he if he found out that one of his favourite films you hadn't um, you hadn't watched at all, then he would badger you until you did. And I remember he bought me. Um, he bought me a copy of um, a programme that he absolutely loved. It was a film that was done some years ago, and it was called The Wipers Times. And it was a film about the way that soldiers created a newspaper um, in the Flanders fields in, during the First World War. And he was really touched and moved by this programme, and, um, and I hadn't seen it. So not only did he buy the video, but every single time after that he saw me, he asked me if I'd watched it yet and was disappointed when I hadn't. Um, he was just, he had a love of life and he just shared um, his passions with anybody that would listen, really. Yeah, and such a lovely description and heartfelt. You know, it's clear from the way you talk about Jim that he was a special friend. Um, and I'm sorry for your loss as a friend, and I'm sorry for the loss of Jim the writer because, without doubt, he had a wonderful way of telling stories. And sadly, there will be no more stories. Although no. I must ask Wendy, I know that before uh, before Jim passed, he was working on a fifth novel. Do you know how close he came to finishing? I don't know. Um, and I know that he'd got, uh, um, actually, um, when the when his family, I was talking to his family um, and listening to them at the, actually at the funeral, and his son talked about the fact that he had got other books planned. Um, I think they were going to be, it, it started off as the Hansworth Quartet, um, but he had another... Uh, it, the the total number was eight he was going to write altogether, and of course one of those was going to be the standalone story. And I think we touched on this when we talked about uh, when we interviewed him about his books. But one was going to be the standalone story of of Agnes Winter, who was um who was this fantastic character in the book who was potentially had a very secretive history and who spent some time at Bletchley Park during World War II. And um and I'm just so sad that he never had a chance to to do her backstory because that would have been fascinating. Yeah, I really would. Well, I mean, I feel there's a loss of for words of what else to say about Jim because he was without doubt a fantastic writer. Uh, he was clearly a much-loved man by his family and friends, and he's lost the literary world. Um, I know you've got for us a reading that you'd like to give at the end of the programme, but is, is there anything else you'd like to say about Jim before we get to that, Wendy? No, I, I just think, um, I think he was, uh, it's it's really sad he's passing. Um, he, uh, he made a mark on me personally, um, and actually to a lot of the students that he worked with as well because of his approach and his accessibility and um and his his ordinariness he was um he was very approachable and and very supportive particularly of learners um and so i think that his passing will have affected a lot of people and of course he was an intensely um 
uh, a private person, but he was very, very family orientated. And he leaves behind a wife and a son and daughter and grandchildren too. Um, and, it, you know, I just want to, to pass on our condolences to them for their loss too, um, because he was he was a big character and he'll be remembered um, for a very, very long time, Raylo. Yes, and I, I'd, I'd like to, before you give the reading, I'd like to just add my own reflection there of something that I heard myself at a funeral today, and that is that... When a stone sinks below the surface, the stone cannot be seen anymore. But the ripples it leaves are wide felt. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as long as people read his books and speak his name, Jim is still very much alive in that sense. I, I absolutely agree. And he's, he, you know, he's a man that's left a legacy and that's his... Um, there is comfort in that. There absolutely is comfort in that. Well, listeners, I, I would implore you to go away and to, if you haven't, read the Collins and Clark series by Jim McGrath. Um, they are a brilliant set of books, the four of them, uh, with really, really lovely characters you can't help but fall in love with. And I would recommend them to anyone who loves not just crime writing or uh, police procedurals, but also anyone that loves the black country and the area. Yeah, I'd agree, Jim, because I think they're very evocative of that. Yeah. Um, th- this uh, this tonight's show, today's show, is going to be slightly shorter than usual, listeners, because we don't want to talk about anything else other than Jim tonight. It's a special pro- a special programme for that reasons. And I wish you all a very happy reading until next time we speak. But um, I'd just like Wendy to close the programme with the reading, if she may. Will do. Thank you, Jim. So, um, yeah, I have to say, um, Jim, I'm really going to miss you because you were a great friend and um, and a great role model for me. Um, so I'm just going to finish with the reading that was given at, actually just before the eulogy. It was beautiful as long as it lasted, the journey of my life. I have no regrets whatsoever, save the pain I'll leave behind. Those dear hearts who love and care, and the strings pulling at the heart and soul. The strong arms that held me up when my own strength let me down. At every turning of my life, I came across good friends, and my loving family who stood by me, even when time raced by me. Farewell, my friends. Farewell, my family. I smile and bid you goodbye. No, shed no tears, for I need them not. All I need is your smile. If you feel sad, do think of me, for that's what I'll like. When you live in the hearts of those you love, remember then, you never die. Good night, God bless Jim. I'm really going to miss you. This show is part of Microbrew Radio, Burton-on-Trent's community radio station. You can hear this and plenty of other shows over on microbrewradio.com. Find our app on the iOS or Android stores, or just say, Alexa, play Microbrew Radio. And if you like what you hear, please let us know on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks. <laughs>